involved in a planned home birth delivery? And since the coronavirus pandemic, how has midwives, doulas, and the OBGYN community shift their practice during this time? So one of the cool things about midwives is that they're super flexible in terms of their ability to make things work. Um, We were actually just talking about that earlier today in relation to coronavirus, the fact that the students that we have and the faculty that we have are used to making things work. So we make changes for them and they just take it in stride. You're listening to the voice of Katie Krebs, who is currently the executive director of BirthWise Midwifery School in Maine. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology from the University of Colorado at Boulder, and a Master's of Public Health in Maternal and Child Health and in Epidemiology from Boston University School of Public Health. Katie has taught childbirth education, fertility awareness, newborn care, prenatal nutrition, and wellness. Katie is passionate about reproduction and reproductive justice and finds birth to be the most amazing intersection of biology, emotional transformation and growth, and the impact of systems and structures on the access to healthcare. Katie lives in Maine with her partner and has two kids from two home birth delivery and their dog Freckles. If you're pregnant and you want to personalize the birth of your child by having a home delivery, then in this episode, Katie will discuss the roles of midwives and doulas and how they use a holistic approach to prenatal care during pregnancy and post-pregnancy. She will also speak about the education and training in becoming a midwife. During this time of the coronavirus pandemic, there's a lot of uncertainty about the transmission of the coronavirus to infants during delivery at the hospital. And in some cases, the partner and family members may not be permitted to be inside the delivery room for safety precaution measures to limit the baby from being exposed to the coronavirus. However, a home birth delivery could be a possible alternative for you and your family to capture this miracle of life moment. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. Hello, friends. I'm so excited that I have Katie Krebs here with me. Katie and I actually go way back, and I'm so excited that we reconnected on social media, and that which I usually am not really into social media, but it just turns out that's a great way to connect with your old students and new colleagues like, on real life about public health. Katie, I'd love to maybe share with our audience, like, how did we meet? Well, hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here today. I'm super excited we reconnected also. Um, we met almost a decade ago, um, or maybe more, uh, at Boston University. I was your TA, I think, the first semester that you taught. Um for your genomics and public health class, which was a super fun job. Oh, thanks for that. I I hope I wasn't a a bad boss. (laughs) But that was my first semester teaching public health genomics. And actually, that was my first semester of teaching college students at all. And I think we had about like 30 students. and, And I was just still trying to understand like, how to write a syllabus. And I remember brainstorming with you about how to create assignments that were engaging. And Katie, we had such great ideas and was always open to trying new things. So I'm glad for that, that I was able to have a great TA, uh, my first TA uh, when I was teaching. So, you know, that's also a great point that, you know, you were my TA during time while you're reading a your graduate degree, which is a master's of public health, which is an MPH degree. Maybe you could even share with students that, like, how did you even juggle 
both a TA job and pursuing a graduate degree? Yeah, I think one of the great things about being a TA is that it's really flexible. So professors understand that you're a student. They know that you have work to do. Um, You're there for class. And then most of the other work is done at home. So you can fill it in. I think anytime you're pursuing a degree program, um, you expect that there's going to be a lot of work outside of the typical nine to five day. And so um, I think this was early on in the program when I was still full time. So I was taking my classes full time and then I squeezed this in but it was a really awesome learning experience. Um, And then I ended up after that year going part-time at school and working full-time at the university um, to pay for bills and avoid loans. And that's actually a really good strategy for many students considering a graduate degree and is worried about the financial burden is that there are many opportunities while you're pursuing a graduate degree. Um, There's TA-ship, there's research assistantships, and there's also a lot of staff positions that you could work um, doing administrative work um, to help support your graduate degree so you're not burdened with loans and that you can actually um, learn on the job as well. Like, so a lot of opportunities you can learn something in public health while you're getting your degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great point. One of the, one of the things that I think about a lot about my degree is that when I got my MPH, I knew that I wanted to work in public health, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So some folks come to their MPH already in their career, knowing that that's going to help them advance to the next step. Others come into it either fresh from undergrad or from other fields to transition in, and they know they have a passion for or interest in public health. They don't know what they want to do yet. So slowing that degree down a little bit and taking the time to work with someone can help you learn what might work for you. And so working for you and the other folks that I worked with really helped me figure out what parts of public health I wanted to do, um, what skills that I had to contribute, um, and that helped shape my career. Oh, Katie, that's great to hear. It makes me feel happy that maybe I made a small contribution in shaping your career because right now you are currently the executive director of Birthwise Midwifery School. Can you tell us more about the roles of midwives and maybe the history of midwives? Because I think that is still a mystery among, you know, the concept of reproduction health, um, preconception health, and also the difference between perinatal versus prenatal care. And so if you could just even shed light about what is the role of midwives today and maybe share about the history. Yeah, so um, so I started my job at Birthwise Midwifery School about seven months ago, um, but I've been advocating for midwives for much longer. It's been a passion of mine for a long time um, working in the field of public health. So midwives were the original providers that caught babies. They've been catching babies since the beginning of time, since humans existed. Um, and it wasn't really until the... Uh, late 19th and early 20th century that birth started happening in the hospital and stopped happening and in homes. So it wasn't until um, the late 19th, early 20th century that birth actually started happening out of homes. So where it started going into hospitals. And that was largely because um, doctors started to become more common um, and OB-GYNs started to be a thing and they wanted the work. And so there was a giant smear campaign against midwives who were often um, enslaved folks in the United States or immigrants or indigenous peoples. Um, And so folks were told that it was unsafe to have these providers, that these providers weren't trained, they weren't educated. Of course, none of that was true. They'd been safely catching babies forever and held all of the knowledge about baby catching. Um, 
And so then we kind of moved birth into the hospital. And that was a little bit of a mixed bag. So hospitals are where people who are sick go. And so you took these perfectly healthy folks and brought them into um, a space full of germs before hygiene was great. And then brand new babies are born into this environment that's full of germs. Um, and our, our you know, birth outcomes declined initially. Now they've gone back up. Um, although our birth outcomes in the United States are not stellar. Um, and midwives have kind of had a resurgence, and that's partly due to folks in the 70s who jumped back onto the midwifery bandwagon. Ina Megaskin comes to mind. Um, unfortunately, she credits herself with inventing midwifery, um, which is not true. <laughs> um, but um, she, uh, but there was a resurgence of, of midwifery um, in a lot of white upper class, upper middle class communities, um, which allowed it to kind of come back to being. The unfortunate piece of that is that the indigenous folks and um, people of color and black midwives that have been catching babies and passing on their traditional knowledge for so long are often overlooked in that whole landscape. Um, so it's a little bit about the history of midwifery. So that's kind of where we are today, um, where midwifery is um, coming back to, into popularity, um, but a very small percentage of births happen um, outside of the hospital. And um, I mean, are they in competition with OBGYN then? It seems like, do you think that is why we see a smaller percentage now? Um, I wouldn't say that they're in competition. And I mean, one could argue that um, they're serving the same populations. They don't have to be in competition. So an OB-GYN has... Um, is a surgeon by training. So they've gone through medical school and then gone through additional residencies and surgery and obstetrics um, in addition to their medical degree. So they're specialized in handling high-risk birth. Um, midwives are specialized in handling low-risk birth, which is the majority of birth. Uh, the majority of birth does not need to happen in a hospital to be safe. Um, and in some cases, having birth outside of the hospital can be safer. Um, during a pandemic, for example, when hospitals are overloaded and there's a lot of sick people there, it can be safer to have your baby at home or in a birth center. Um, there is some, some animosity. Um, there's a lot of collaboration, but there can be animosity. So there's, I think, a misunderstanding about motivations, um, practice styles, and training. Um, there's a misconception that midwives are not trained or skilled, uh, which is not true. Um, regardless of the type of midwife, there's different types that go through different training, but they're highly skilled. So we train at our school certified professional midwives. So these are midwives that do not have a medical degree necessarily before they come into our program. Um, they come to us and they go through a three and a half year program full of hands-on learning, practical learning and apprenticeships, which we call preceptorships and, um, classroom learning. And they, um, then after they graduate from our program, they go on to sit for a national exam. That national exam, once they pass it, um, will give them the ability to become licensed in their state if their state has licensure for certified professional midwives, and then they can practice in an out-of-hospital setting. A nurse midwife is going to have their nursing degree first, and then they'll get a master's degree in midwifery, and then they'll sit for an exam through their institution, and then they can become um, a certified nurse midwife who could work in a hospital or a birth center, depending on the state. And you had mentioned that there are different ways of getting education in terms of like it could be online, hybrid. And so how would that impact the length of this, of one person's study 
would it be one or three years or can they do it part-time? Just curious. I think more to certified professional midwives, what a CPM's um, education would be since that's what I do. Um, I am not a CPM myself, but that's the, the folks that we train at our school. So um, we are an accredited school of midwifery. We're accredited by the Midwifery Education Accreditation Council called me. And there are about 12 schools that are also accredited across the country. Some of those schools, it's just a program that's accredited. So they're at another institution that has other programs. Our school only teaches midwives, but the formats of those programs are varied. So some of them are online only, where you come to campus um, a few times a year or once a year to do skills training and skills testing. And then the rest of your time is spent with a midwife in your community doing apprenticeship work and then online instruction. Uh, Other programs are entirely hands-on on campus. And then you have the apprenticeship component after the hands-on in-class learning. Our program is a combination. So we have two tracks. You can either be on campus learning in the classroom, or you can be in our low residency program where you remain in your community. And then you come to our campus every two or three times a semester. And during those semesters, during those times that you come to campus, you're in class intensively for two weeks. So five days a week for two weeks with your class. For all of those programs, there's a significant amount of practical experience that you have to gain. So you have to attend a certain number of births and have a certain number of clinical experiences before you can graduate. And I think it can vary in length between one and four or five years. It can take a little bit longer. You can go part-time. Um, but we like our students to finish within about four and a half to five years if they can. During the practical part, do they work with experienced midwife to help the delivery or is this sim- are there simulation practices? I'm just curious, like, is this equivalent to a practicum? Yeah. So when they do their skills learning, they'll practice on each other or we hire models. So we allow our students to choose. They can opt in to being a model. Um, if they don't want to be touched or don't want to touch a classmate, we can hire a model for them. Um, And then that model is paid to be there. And so that's a way that they can practice um, vaginal exams. They can practice, um, uh, you know, setting up an IV, drawing blood, um, all different kinds of skills. Uh, They can practice doing uh, well body exams, things like that. Um, So they'll do that in the classroom setting. And then um, we have simulations. So we have like life-size dolls. (laughs) that look like they're pregnant and they can practice catching babies that way. Um, We also have exams, like in-person exams, where we'll have people, uh, we have a special pair of pants with a fake vagina. And so we can have, um, we can pretend to have like babies come out and be caught in different positions with different things happening. Um, So we have ways to simulate it on campus. And then when they're with the community midwives starting in either their second or third uh, semester with us, they will um, be working actually with a midwife practicing in a community, seeing real clients. And so they start by assisting and observing, or they start by observing, then they move on to assisting, then they move on to being the primary provider um, under the supervision of an experienced midwife. So they're getting very practical experience. So by the time they graduate, they could, um, you know, they're able to catch a baby on their own. That's great to hear that they have very extensive, comprehensive training. The books, like they're on campus, also online, and there's a comprehensive training program with either simulation or real people. Right now, I've been hearing doulas are also another 
provider, or you could think of some of a health professional that also assists pre and during labor. Can you tell us more about the role of doulas and are how are they different in midwives and and do they work together? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people are confused about the difference between a doula and a midwife, and they're actually quite different. Um, so a midwife is a trained medical provider, and when the midwife is there with you in the room, they're the ones that are monitoring your safety, the safety of the baby, checking to make sure that things are progressing in a normal way, um, keeping an eye on any red flags and thinking about transferring you if need be. So they're really there for the medical component and and safety. A doula is also highly trained, but their skill set is a little bit different. So they're trained to be an emotional or physical support person or both. So doulas will be there to They'll typically meet with you beforehand, before the birth a few times to provide some education. And then they come with you to the birth and support you throughout labor. So they'll hold your hand, they'll give you hip squeezes, they'll help you get into positions that are really favorable for birth so that um, things progress in a good way. They can help you understand what's being asked of you or said to you so they can kind of filter information, can help um, help communicate between you know the birthing person and the medical team if needed. They can support family. Folks will bring a partner to a birth if they have one, but that partner might need to go to the bathroom or might need to get a sandwich or might need to take a nap. And so it's good to have an extra person there who knows what's going on. Doulas will also have tricks up their sleeve. They might have skills in massage or aromatherapy or uh, mindfulness or meditation that can help you get through the labor. But they're highly skilled providers that are really, really great, but they don't do any of the medical stuff. So they're not going to do... They're not going to catch the baby. They're not going to make medical decisions. They're not going to make medical recommendations. So they work really, really well with your provider. But if you had a midwife or a doula, you'd want to also have the other. So if you had a midwife, you'd want a doula as well. And you would need to have a midwife or another provider if you had a doula. That's great to hear that the midwife provides a very comprehensive supportive system for the pregnant woman before, during, and after the delivery. I think one other question that many pregnant women who may be considering a home birth is what happens when something does happen during labor at home? I mean, they could plan for a healthy birth, but um, sometimes things happen unexpectedly. So at that point, what is the protocol? It's a great question. That's a really common question. So midwives are only going to take on clients that are safe to have. So our midwives uh, most often do home deliveries. And they have criteria that clients have to meet. So when a birthing person comes to them and says, hey, I'd really like you to be my midwife, the midwife's going to say, all right, let's go through your health history and make sure that home birth is safe for you. Um, in the majority of cases, it is. But we're going to double check and make sure that there aren't you know, certain risk criteria. And those risk criteria can be dictated by the state licensure requirements um, that will dictate who certified professional midwives can and cannot see or the midwife's own comfort. They may have their own requirements, their own levels of comfort with what they will and won't take. So, so the first kind of check is, are you a good candidate for home birth? If you pass that check, then we move on to monitoring the pregnancy. So your midwife is going to be with you throughout the entire pregnancy, doing prenatal visits, just like if you went to see a provider at a clinic or a hospital. They're going to do all the same tests that you would have done. They're going to do all the same checks that you would have done, collect additional information as needed, and they're going to monitor the progress of your pregnancy. If anything comes up that they're concerned about, they'll either address it in the moment or they'll seek additional guidance from another provider or a specialist. And if anything gets to the point where it becomes unsafe for you to deliver at home, you'll be transferred out. And oftentimes, if you're going to be transferred, it will happen before birth. So you'll know, and it'll be a conversation with your midwife. It won't be a surprise. 
once labor happens, you're absolutely right. Things can go in all different directions and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But most often, if a problem starts to happen, we have time to have a conversation. So we can talk about what options we have. We can think about transferring. So there's time to have a conversation. It's actually really rare that you would have an emergency that's so emergent that you have to get immediately to a hospital. That's actually really, really rare in home birth. And when that does happen, your midwife has a protocol for that and she will absolutely take you to the hospital if needed via 911 or in your own vehicle, whichever is most appropriate. What about during the prenatal phase? Like, I guess, do the midwives do the blood test, ultrasound, and any of those prenatal tests, like genetic testing? Do they do that or is that all outsourced? Um, It depends on the state. So the state will dictate the scope of the midwife. Um, Generally speaking, they can um, collect the blood to do the tests. They can do some of the tests themselves. Some they'll outsource. Um, So sometimes that'll be a licensure question. Sometimes that'll be just a resource question from a business perspective. Is it easier just to send everything to a lab? Um, So that'll depend. The tests do happen though. So the midwives will still be following guidelines in terms of best practices and care. But we do teach our midwives how to use microscopes and how to run the tests and, you know, what um, the departments of public health require. They typically won't do ultrasound themselves, but they'll have someone that they refer you to that does it. So all of that is part of the setup that they have for their practice. And actually, with a with a midwife, you're going to get more intensive and more personalized care. So when you see a provider in a hospital or a clinic, when you're seeing an OB or an MD, you typically have five to 15 minutes with your provider during your appointment. With a midwife, they're going to be with you in your home for an hour for that visit. And they're going to talk to you about how you're feeling, your nutrition, your partner, if you have one, your family structure, what supports you have, how safe your home is for delivery, you know, your work situation, all of that kind of stuff is going to be covered in your prenatal visit. So they're actually, because they're spending so much more time with their clients, they're better able to catch issues that arise because they know what's out of the norm for you. Well, that's great to hear that midwives is part of the public health system, you know, where they are, what are following the public health guidelines and also that they hold the public health um, paradigm, which is it's not just only providing medical care, but it's like a holistic care. Like like you said that, you know, they provide the emotional support in addition to the the medical um, support um, for the woman. So that's good to hear. So uh, listeners, I hope you're getting excited to hear, to learn more about midwives. And if you are considering um, going to school to become a midwife, or maybe you're considering getting one, like how does one get a midwife, Katie? I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of it is, you know, word word of mouth. So folks sharing experiences that they've had. If you want to look up providers in your area, you can do a simple search online. Most midwives will have a webpage. If you're looking for a certified professional midwife, you can look at the NARM, the National National North American Registry of Midwives website, and they will uh, have a list of, of certified professional midwives that you can search by area. You can also look through your insurance to see if anyone's covered. Certified professional midwives are not often covered by insurance. Uh, it's not based in evidence or logic. <laughs> a birth with a midwife is a lot less expensive than a hospital birth and usually has less intervention. So it would, would be a good move for uh, insurance companies, but they're not often covered. If you're looking for a CNM, you can typically find them at the birth center that they work at or um, the hospital that they work at. And so you had mentioned that it's not currently being covered or it's covered by some health insurance. And I'm just curious, like, what is the cost or range of having a midwife? 
Yeah, so there's some variability in insurance coverage. Um, but if you're paying out of pocket, a lot of uh, you'll pay somewhere in the ballpark of three to seven thousand total for the birth, and that'll include all of your prenatal care, having the person on call for you for over a month, um, all of the time that they spend during the birth, and then several postpartum home visits as well. So one of the benefits there is that the midwife is with you during labor and delivery, and then stays with you a little bit afterwards to check on you and baby and make sure that everything's going okay. And then you'll have like a personal follow-up visit in your home. So you're not packing up your new baby and getting in your car and driving to a doctor's office or hospital. Somebody's coming to your house and checking on you to make sure that you're doing okay. So the level of care is really fantastic. And that that cost, that three to 7,000 um, is going to depend on area, the experience of the midwife. But in comparison to an out-of-pocket hospital cost is substantially less expensive. So most hospital births that are uncomplicated start in the range of seven to 10,000. If you have a cesarean, it goes up from there exponentially. Wow. So it is cost effective, it sounds mm-hmm. like, um, to have a midwife and also the the benefits like holistically in that, you know, provide the emotional, spiritual and, and medical support. You know, you help us demystify the role of midwives. How does that actually happen at the person's home? Like I imagine, would you have to reset up the bed or, I mean, I heard that there's even water delivery. Does that really happen and, or help people envision home delivery by a midwife? Yeah. So one of the cool things about midwives is that they're super flexible in terms of their ability to make things work. Um, We were actually just talking about that earlier today in relation to coronavirus, the fact that the students that we have and the faculty that we have are used to making things work. So we make changes for them and they just take it in stride. That's, That's a midwife's work. So you in your home will choose where you want to be and the midwife will follow you. So if you want to start in your kitchen and you're making a birthday cake for the baby, well, those contractions aren't too hard to deal with. That's fine. Um, Maybe you'll sit down on your couch or your kitchen table or somewhere that's comfortable for you to have a check where the midwife can listen to baby's heartbeat. You'll purchase a birth kit. So you'll have a certain set of supplies that you'll keep at your house so that they're ready. And the midwife will bring her bags with her that carry all of her materials. And then you will deliver the baby wherever you need to. So sometimes that happens in the shower. Sometimes it happens over the toilet. Sometimes it happens in the kitchen or in the backyard. If you're interested in trying a water birth, then um, you'll have an inflatable tub that will be filled with warm water, usually boiled on the stove. (laughs) And so your partner and midwife and maybe your doula will help with that project as things get moving along. And then you can set that up wherever you want. That could be in your bedroom. It could be in your living room. So what's great about that is that folks can then kind of create the space that they want. So they might have pictures of family members or, you know, their pets will be nearby taking care of them or the rest of their family can be there and folks can go sleep in their bed if they need to. You know, so if you have younger children at home, maybe they'll be with you during some contractions and then, you know, go take a nap or watch a video or or whatever else they need to do during the time. So it can be really cozy and comforting. And there's really not a whole lot that the midwives require to make it work. Oh, wow. That's really great to hear that people can personalize their delivery. I knew that, you know, the midwife provides emotional support, but that they can actually work with you to create that space. I mean, because it's such a magical one-time moment and that you as the woman delivering can make that the most memorable moment for you and your family. So that's great to hear. One of the other awesome things to consider too is that for for a family that has some specific cultural or religious beliefs around birth, 
home birth can be a really great option to create that space that they need in order to have whatever rituals they're hoping for or need observed. And so some of our midwives serve very specific communities of people where they're able to provide, you know, the spiritual or cultural space that that family needs and wants. And that I think is really great because birth is not a medical event. It's a life event. It's a family event. One last question I think that audience is also thinking is like during labor, there's a lot of pain. So do they get to still have their drugs or is that <laughs> drugs are off limits? <laughs> That's a great question. So um, so I think first we have to reframe pain. So there's, there's, you know, pain serves purposes. One purpose is to let us know that something's wrong. So if I'm working on building something and I hit my thumb with a hammer, it hurts because my thumb is telling my body that something's wrong. I damaged my hand, right? So that's one way that pain tells us something's happening. The other thing pain can do is tell us that something big is happening. Not that something bad is happening, but that something big is happening. So be similar to the pain you might feel after running a marathon or taking a really strenuous weightlifting class or um, any other you know, physical endeavor or other endeavor like that, right? It's not a bad thing. We haven't caused any harm or, or damage, but our body is doing something big. So you know, birthing a human is kind of a big thing. <laughs> And so there is a lot of discomfort or can be, and some people would describe that as pain. Not everyone would, but I think going into it, knowing that that is not necessarily something to be feared or controlled, but managed um, is the first step. The second is that pain can be managed in a lot of different ways. So water has actually been shown through research to be as effective as an epidural at managing pain. So in terms of number of people reporting that that pain management technique managed their pain, the same number of people report that water birth or water um, takes care of their pain as report that um, uh, epidurals do. Um, so, so midwives are going to have with them um, herbs, techniques, movements, body positions, calming techniques, all kinds of things to help you manage the sensations of labor. They do not carry drugs, and that is based on their scope of practice. So midwives do not have prescriptive authority. They carry emergency medications, so they'll have oxygen. They have Pitocin usually to help against hemorrhage after birth, but they won't give you any medical intervention in terms of any chemical intervention in terms of synthetic oxytocin during labor to augment it or uh, pain relief. I like how you rephrase our mindset that it's not pain, but it's discomfort and that discomfort is just part of life and it's really about your perspectives. Yeah, so I like that. And, that, and how you manage that discomfort. Um, there are many different ways. Um, in addition to traditional pharmaceutical ways, there are non-pharmaceutical ways to manage discomfort. So thank you for sharing that, Katie. And yeah. yeah. And so Katie, you know, now that we've learned so much about the role of midwives and you helped us demystify that midwives are a modern part of society, healthcare uh, of help of health services that's available to you, and that there are ways that you can connect with a midwife. And it sounds to me there's these directories. Um, they can even look up the alums um, from a school such as your school um, to understand like what training they received and if it aligns with your values and your traditions and exploring these alternative ways of care. But it's funny because it's not really alternative. It's actually been around for a really long time based on what we you shared today. For our listeners who are maybe interested in becoming a midwife, you know, what are some maybe a couple golden nuggets of advice that you could share with us today? Um, well, I think midwifery is an excellent field. 
Um, it's not for everyone. It's challenging, but it can be really, really great. And we would love to see your applications at our school um, or help you find the school if it's the right fit for you. I think, you know, looking at a new career path is such an awesome moment to think about the possibility that exists. And what I love about the world of public health is that it's so varied. And the skill sets that you learn from an MPH program um, or a public health program are applicable in so many different settings. It's really a way of thinking about the world and a way of thinking about information. And it's very grounded in values and helping people. That's what attracted me to it is this fact that doing work in public health means that you are impacting populations of people for the better in some way or another. And that's a really cool thing to be a part of. And there's so many different ways to do it that there's there's a lot of options out there and a lot of opportunity. Glad that you gave a great shout out for public health, especially now as in the spotlight in the coronavirus situation right now and that you know public health is a field of many opportunities if listeners would like to reach out to you katie like what's the best way uh email is the best way it's my name katie at birthwisemidwifery.edu you can also check out our website uh, my info is on there as well um just birthwisemidwifery.edu all right well thank you so much katie for joining us here today we learned so much and i learned so much and helping us demystify the role of midwives the roles of OBGYN, the roles of doulas and yeah so thank, thank you, you so me, much Katie. yes thank you all right thanks if you got questions about any of the episodes feel free to reach out to me directly and while you're there at it please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.